So I think we've all been there. The network is down. You tried all the things that you know how to do. And now it's time to call vendor support to figure out what the heck is going on with your network. Now, some of us dread this situation as navigating the support process can be daunting at times. In today's episode, we're hoping to give you some tips on how to make that process go a little bit smoother. So why don't you listen in as we talk about our experiences with vendor support and what we've learned along the way to make that support process as painless as possible. So before getting started, I want to let you know that today's episode is being sponsored by Unimus, a network automation and configuration management solution. Unimus is designed for fast deployment network-wide and for ease of use. So we'll be talking more about Unimus later on in the episode, but you'll definitely want to check them out at unimus.net slash nc. Uh, so joining us today is Nash King and Trey Asplund as guests. And as always, Tony E is, uh, is here talking as well. Uh, guys, thanks for coming on and recording with us tonight. Thanks, hey, glad to be here. Thanks for inviting us. Having me. Of course. So um, I think today we're going to approach this from a, from a couple of different perspectives, right? So um, Trey, you have a lot of experience from the vendor side and supporting customers. And I think it'll be interesting to get a perspective, kind of a peek behind the curtain of what happens on the other side of the phone when we pick up and kind of the expectations you might have. Uh, for a customer as they're calling in uh, to make things smooth. And then I think that we're going to transition, you know, uh, a bit on the show and talk more from the customer perspective on what we can do. Um, so Trey, I'm going to, I'm going to point it to you first and I'd like to, um, I'd like to get your perspective on, on what your, you know, what, what's a perfect tack call for you? What are some things that people should do? What is it that you're looking to do um, to make this process as painless as possible for everybody involved? All right. Perfect tack call. That's, that's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> perfect tack call, I think is every time, right? How yeah. Hard is that? Oh, Oh yeah, all of them, every single time. I definitely don't go home frustrated ever. <laughs> um, yeah, perfect tack call. I would say you get a call from the customer. They have a clear problem description. They know when the event started. They know what went wrong. Uh, they might not know why it went wrong or you know what the full impact is, but you know they are at least clear in their description and you know where to start from. When you need to collect information, it feels like you're collaborating with somebody. It's not like you're pulling teeth. Um, and I think that ultimately is the biggest thing. So back and forth with good data, having somebody you can trust to actually give you that data and someone who's being open with you instead of fighting you along the way. Now there are typically, I mean, I think if you've been in this for any period of time, there's different models, right. Of, of ways to do troubleshooting, uh, like processes that are kind of taught to you from a very high level. Of course, they don't encompass all the parts and and things like that. But do you follow a model? Like, is there a, you know, like, do you follow any of the vendor or industry prescribed models or do you just kind of go in and, and wing it? Uh, for me personally, I think my troubleshooting model is highly dependent on what the issue is. Um, so I think a lot of times, well, okay, with any problem or any problem description, the very first thing you need to weed out is, is this a problem or not? So, I need to understand whether or not things are working as expected or if, you know, things are actually broken. Hold so, on. Nope. They're yeah. calling you. It's clearly broken. Clearly it's broken. Clearly it's, it's definitely, broken. definitely you. not their perception that's broken. It's I've never, never had that never one happen. It's a perception issue now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Like, like I've never been on a tech call where it was my perception of things that was broken and not the actual tech. I'm sure most of us can relate with that. And if you can't, 
um, maybe it's time for some inward reflection because I think that, <laughs> I think the reality is most of us can. Okay, so the, the first thing you have to do is 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 there a problem? Yeah. Right. And 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 so how do you do that? I mean, because you come in kind of blind, like all of a sudden there's somebody on the other end of the phone. You're dropping into an environment that you have no familiarity with. And I'm glad you that know, you recognize that portion of it because many people don't. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I mean, like, this, I think this is this is part of the thing that I've learned. I took a lot of notes uh, in our show notes from the perspective of the practitioner because I've never sat on your side of the phone. And I'll tell you that when I started, I definitely did not have that perspective. Right. The idea that when I called somebody that they did not have my view of what was going on, that they were experts only on the technology and that there was kind of like a partner process that had to happen here. I kind of just expected like, hey, you're going to help me now. Right. Just just like any type of anytime you're naive, you come across as arrogant. So it's going to sound like I'm coming across as arrogant, but I was just naive. Right. Like I just I just expected that you were there to make my problem go away. And I wasn't giving much thought. To what you were having to navigate. Well, um, it's true. I, yeah. I am here to help your problem go away. But if you don't give me all the context to what your problem is, or, you know, if you tell me that, you know, BGP doesn't work, that, that could mean a million different things. And it could, you know, is there a static route causing things to be wrong? Or is, is, the, is the peer flapping? There's, there's a million things that could be happening. And, you know, just because you know that Fred put in a static route for some specific reason on a transit box that you're not telling me even exists, I'm not going to know that. And I will never have that knowledge unless you share it with me. So That's I think right. keeping in mind that the person you're getting help from isn't on, isn't on your team full time. Uh, isn't there for all the historical things that's happened in your network. That's a huge portion of it. Uh, it, Trey, I just wanted to ask, how important is it for someone uh, from TAC to extract that extra information to be able to say, uh, while I'm supposed to be helping you with this box, uh, what's it connected to? What's the neighboring boxes? What are they doing? Uh, How important is that? Is is you getting that information about the customer's environment or, or is the primary focus just, fix the problem on the box that I support? Um, well, it sounds like a, a couple different questions. First of all, uh, the second one sounds more like support scope. Like, will you help me with a different box that is not something you support? Uh, you know, that I think depends a lot on what's the comfort level of the person you're working with. Like, if this is a routing problem, I don't support Juniper, but sure, let's take a look. You know, I understand how OSPF works. I understand how BGP works, static routes, great. Let's take a look and I can try and figure out what's going on. Not everybody's going to do that. Not everybody has the time to do that. You know, a lot of organizations are really bogged down with a really large backlog. And sometimes we just need to cut the call short because this is where my support ends and I have 50 other customers who need my help. Um, but to get back to the you know, context of customer data and all the hidden things that people might not remember to tell you about, it's... In my opinion, it's the difference between sometimes a two-day case versus a you know two-week case. Uh, like if there's an ACL in place and you just didn't mention that, and I'm wondering why the hell is this packet not leaving this box, and I'm sitting here looking at the hardware forwarding entries or whatever, and it doesn't occur to me to look at the ACLs just yet, it's going to burn extra time, and that's on you. Know, I, I don't want to say it's on them for not checking because it's definitely my responsibility to check that as well, but we as a team collaborating to solve our problem should have identified that sooner. I mean, so it sounds like this, this first 
phase, right, is there's almost there's almost a, a team negotiation that goes on. Like we, we need to establish whatever report is that we're working under. And then there's also the the information exchange, kind of just like how do we both get a perspective on this network that's the same? And I and I think that that's I think that that's the step that's missed a lot, right? Is, you know, like trying to get to the point where both of you are seeing the problem as it is because the, the, the challenge, like I, I have all kinds of, well, let's just put it this way. I have all kinds of things that I'm leaving to assumptions to you because they're just inherent to me. I know my organization. You don't know my organization. I know what this is connected to. You don't know what this is. There's a lot of things that I know when I call you that you don't know. I'm going to have a list of the things that I think I have to tell you. But unless that list is comprehensive, the reality is, is that we don't have the exact same perspective on what's going on. Definitely. I think you also have to establish um, a common language. Not just um, do we have sort of a combined understanding of like my area of responsibility versus your TAC area of responsibility. But um, when I say words, do you understand them the same way that I mean them? That's a huge point, Nash. <laughs> like that's, I know. Yeah, I know. She's like, yeah, I live this every day. Yes, no, uh, that's, that's a great point because not everybody's in the same space. And sometimes companies use words weirdly. Like it's in their culture. It makes sense to them. But like the rest of the world uses that word differently. Um, there's there can be a lot of miscommunications because of that. I feel like I I, I feel like there's pain in that statement, Nash. Like well, it's kind spent. of like I have, you know, the one vendor that I work with quite a bit, and I'm very successful at working with their tech because I kind of know the quote unquote magic words. I know sort of if I say this, they're going to hear that. And then we're going to get to the goal that I have. If you don't know the magic word, or if you don't understand what it means in their context, you're going to have a really bad time. And you're going to think, oh, those engineers are terrible. When what you're missing is kind of the the shared context and shared understanding. I, I, feel like- I do what I can to, to skip that process on my end by trying to use as much or make my language as unambiguous as possible. I never say, where's that host? Because that means a hundred things. And just because we've been staring at one host all day doesn't mean that you won't randomly get an idea as to what that means now, as if the context changed. So a lot of it is just being very specific, not saying anything that's ambiguous or that could be taken multiple ways. So if you can cut out a lot of that, there's a lot less of a translation layer. At least that's what I found in my experience. I feel like that responsibility sits on both sides. Like I, I, I do feel like, you know, uh, support tech is going to have to take on a bit of that and probably even lead that charge. Just much like you said, do everything you can do to not be ambiguous about the things that you're asking for and the things that you're looking for. Um, but I feel like the customer has the same responsibility. Uh, and, and, and I don't, you know, like ultimately at the end of the day, I think that the customer sometimes view this as a process that's frustrating rather than as a process that's going to help them. Because, because kind of like, and I said in my intro, like by the time that we got to the point that we're calling support, it's, we're already frustrated. Like we're already past the point of where our skills can solve this problem. And that's, you know, we're going to talk about some of these things later, but that's embarrassing and that's, and it's frustrating. And by the time that we're making a call to support, I don't know that the customer is always in that frame of mind. 
Um, and I think that's, I, and I'm kind of, you know, stealing my thunder for later on in the show, because I think a lot of your success depends on whether or not you can have the, uh, emotional intelligence mm -hmm. to be able to approach that call, uh, without that frustration, even though you're feeling it. Um, but I think that ultimately, you know, to come back to this point is that both sides of that conversation have to be, uh, very intentional about the words that they use and understand where if they're using a word that may not uh, be understood to be asking and making sure that people understand what's being said. I think a huge part of my job is trying to decipher what people are telling me. Um, and that, that was one of the one of the notes I wrote up for talking points on this is one of the biggest places where things fall apart or take extra time or don't quite go the way that people expect is because what you're saying probably makes sense to you, but when it's on paper, I don't understand what you're telling me, right? So it's either because it's too ambiguous or because you're using the wrong terms or you've jumped to a conclusion or something. But I think being very clear and deliberate about what you're saying and how you're saying it will ultimately speed up your time to resolution, which is what you care about. If it's your network down, you need to be deliberate about what you're telling me so that I can help you get it back up quickly. So, so first step is, it's just kind of that shared perspective. You, you kind of let us in there to the next step. And that's, that's, you said on paper, <laughs> I'm starting to think about now we're talking about descriptions and data. Um, and I, I think it's probably the next step in this process is to kind of pull in, you know, uh, the stuff that's relevant to this. The problem is, is more often than not, I think that there's different ideas about what is relevant. So how do you, how do you navigate that and make sure that we're getting the right data? That, that data is complete and accurate and you know like like what does that look like i mean because i i don't know i don't work your side all the time i know my experiences with my calls but i imagine that oftentimes what you feel is relevant data may not always be what you're getting yes without a doubt um one of the things that is constantly a problem or comes up i don't know if not daily weekly is people who they call me for help and instead of giving me the data that I've asked, they instead give me what they think is relevant. Now, it's great that you know, you're know you participating and you're being part of this and you're helping to troubleshoot and you've given me your, your thoughts on what's going on. That's awesome. I also requested data. I'm okay to have your analysis and I think that's worthwhile, but you need to also provide what was requested. Because like you said earlier, I mean, Frequently, you're calling somebody because they work on that, that technology day in and day out, or maybe you're calling TAC because you've been working on a problem and staring at it for five days straight. You know, when, when you've been that close to the problem and you haven't taken a step back, you're very likely to miss things. I know because I do it all the time. You know, that's why I talk to my teammates all the time, say, am I missing something? You know, can you help me just talk through the idea of what the, what's going on in this situation, make sure I'm not, you know, missing any of the angles. And I think... Uh, you know, take maybe taking a step back and pride of, I don't know if it's pride or what, but maybe just taking a step back and saying it's possible, possible that I haven't come to the full conclusion. I don't understand all the pieces that are moving on and that my analysis right in this moment isn't going to crack the case. Yeah. I'm just, you know, like <laughs> I think about the cases that I've been involved in where, where I, you know, like also, I mean, so I'm, I'm just be, you know, a little bit candid here, like oftentimes support is tiered, right? Like you call in, you get the first person and the first person, you know, you just know, 
Like this person is not going to be the person that's going to solve my problem, right? Like I just, I can tell uh, this person is, is green. They're inexperienced. They're meant to be there to get the easy stuff and that's all well and fine, but I need to navigate through this as quickly as I can. Um, and I feel like sometimes we try to shortcut the process and sometimes there's justification for doing that. Sometimes we need to get to the engineer who can help solve it quickly. Um, but on the other side of that, I also feel like sometimes we do a disservice by doing that. Cause all we're out to do is we're not out to actually achieve what that person's trying to prove. We're out to achieve getting past them. <laughs> and so we provide the data that we need to get the thing escalated. Like, and so I think there's a, you know, from a customer perspective, there's a, a, a narrow line here because I think that just like it's your job as the, as the sport engineer to help and, and to get things solved, it's the practitioner's job to align technology with where the business is. And, and sometimes that means that, you know, like I can't navigate your tiered process today. <laughs> like there are times when I can and we can go through all the hoops you want to jump through and, you know, like we'll escalate this to the normal process. And there are times that we can't. And, and I think the longer that we do that, the more nuanced we can be in navigating those processes without um, tripping all over our feet. But I think early on, we try to do it and trip all over our feet in, in providing irrelevant information that doesn't help the process, that doesn't prove anything. And then we just end up stuck in this cycle where the engineer is asking for something and we're not giving them what they're asking for. So one thing I think that can happen when you're trying to jump tiers is you end up... So you're frustrated and you just want to get through the process. But then the other engineer that you're trying to jump over ends up feeling like you're looking down on them or you don't think that they're good enough when maybe they actually are. And it just leads into this cycle where you're frustrated and you become frustrated with them. And then they become frustrated with you. And it really makes both of your lives so much more difficult. Yeah, I think that that's, that's definitely there. I think that I can't imagine what it's like to be that guy who sits that first tier, who knows that everybody's trying to get past him. You know, like that's got to be a frustrating job, you know, like, and I'm sure there's people who are listening who do that job, right? Like, and so I definitely empathize when I'm not the one on the other end of the phone, right? Like, like just to be bluntly honest, like I empathize now, but when I, when I need to get to, you know, like when I bring my, you know, and this is the, here it is. Here's me puff up my chest. I bring my 20 years of experience, mm -hmm. you know, and I've done all this stuff before and I know, yeah, like it's not, you know, I, I, I know that this isn't, I need to restart, you know, like I, I know that that's not what we're doing here. And I know that whatever the script is, but what I've actually learned is that rather than trying to circumvent that is literally just to do everything. Mm -hmm. So it is, give me all the things that you want to try give me the punch list. Cause I can accomplish that stuff really, really quickly. Let me give you all of this data. Let me prove to you that it's beyond this. And then once we're here and then I got you scratching your head, then I'm going to say we need to bring in the next guy. Because I gave you everything that you asked for. And now you're just, you're searching. And now I can do it with justification. I'm not here because I don't think that you're the right guy. I gave you a chance. <laughs> We've run through all of our stuff. And I've actually found that goes way faster. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, but, but the idea is you can't do one thing at a time at that level, at least from my perspective. And maybe Trey, you have a, a counterpoint to this because... I don't, I don't know how you feel, but like, to me, it's like, I can't wait to do one thing and then come back and go, no, that wasn't it. Do something else. And that wasn't it. I'm like, what is all the things that you need to check? Like, give me the punch list. I will collect it all for you. And like almost just putting a cap around the amount of time we're going to spend on this, just like initial, you know, putzing around. And it really depends on what the problem is. Yeah. I'm talking, I'm thinking about like a network down emergency where mm -hmm. I think others, 
you know, like if, if it's not networked down and it's really just trying to discover what's going on, like we're trying to find a root cause for something strange, but that isn't causing us an outage. Take all the time you want to, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't care how many tiers we go through, but like when my network is down, I can't putz around, you know, like I got to get to someone who can help me. Yeah. So I just wanted to bring up um, the active versus passive troubleshooting. Um, I think we've all been on tech cases where the tech engineer asks you for a document or a log or some output and you send that and you upload that to the tech case. And then the next day they ask you for something else and you upload that. I kind of consider that passive troubleshooting and that can sometimes drag a tech case out for days or a week or, or more. But sometimes things just need to be handled actively. And it's the best if the tech engineer or yourself, if you're the customer or the engineer, can actually dedicate the time and just say, hey, look, can we get on the phone and work this together? Maybe we can get to a resolution. Maybe we can stop this back and forth via email or via the TAC portal, uh, uh, whatever the whatever the vendor's using. And, um, and, and I've been on both sides of that. And it, it, I guess it's really sort of problem specific, right? Um, sometimes you have priorities that need active troubleshooting and sometimes there's something that can be passive, but, but it's important to know that, that if you have a priority item, don't start engaging in that passive manner, slowly uploading log documents or output say, Hey, can we get someone on the phone? I, I need to be able to get this solved and sort of start scoping your timeline. You know, I have 48 hours before I need a resolution to this or a workaround. Yeah, Absolutely. I think that comes down to setting expectations properly. Um, I know from the tax side of things, if you don't set expectations properly with me, you're going to get frustrated and I'll probably get frustrated. Like if, if you tell me that, Hey, we're having a, a large outage right now. And what you really want to do is get an RCA. So this never happens again. We need to collect data before you, you know, recover and you need to be aware of that. And I understand, you know, you're in an outage, it's whatever, but you need to make that decision upfront. What is my priority, root cause or recovery? Because we can do what we can after recovery, but if we don't take the time to collect the data we need, you might not always get the result you want. Um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to steal go thunder from my, from, from some of the things from the practitioner side, we were going to have this nice clean show. We were going to do one and then the other. Yeah. I think it's going out the window because there's just no way to do it. Um, but this is critical. Like what you just said is a hundred percent there. And it's not just about managing expectations with tech. It's managing expectations with everybody. So, and that's not on tech. That's on you person making the phone call, right? You need to understand a, what it is that you're looking for. Are you looking for root cause analysis or are you looking for resolution? Sometimes you could be looking for both, but often those two things do not align. Sometimes the network is down. This is a critical time. And all we need is the network to be back up. And that's priority number one. And if we can find a root cause in that process, great. It, sometimes it is, I need a root cause because this has happened to us 30 times now and it can't happen again. My bosses are starting to get on me and we need to find the root cause. But the thing is, is that you need to not only be managing TAC, you need to be managing your management. And so when I say mm -hmm. that is you need to have an understanding of what the business need is at this moment. Is that is that business need something that is, again, is it something where I need the network back up right now? Maybe you're in a, you do manufacturing in the middle of a big production run or something. You just can't wait to be down. It, it's got to be back up. And in that case, the resolution literally might be, let's try rebooting and see if that solves the problem, right? Because what's the fastest way to get there? I mean, and tell me anybody out there that rebooting doesn't usually resolve your problems. It almost <laughs> always has some sort of positive impact. 
The problem is, is that tell me, tell me how often rebooting actually fixes your problem. And the answer is not very often. It usually is a Band-Aid, right? But if that Band-Aid is effective for getting, you know, what the business needs done right now, and then we can go back to root cause later when it happens again, maybe that's what you need to do, right? Because it's your job to manage those business expectations and marry them with tech, right? Um, and, and, and so some of that is going to be having that hard conversation with your boss. It's like, here's the deal. Like I can either focus on getting us back up or I can focus on figuring out why this happened. You may not be able to pick both, which one is more important to you, period. I think it's worth um, once the emergency has passed and everyone in your local environment has kind of calmed down because we're all tired and grumpy and stressed out. um, Go back to your boss and say, okay, if we just went for the quick fix, what are we doing next time? What are the circumstances under which we can do a root cause analysis versus um, when, like, when do we need to just fix it now? Is there a time where we might be able to just try and find out like why it's happening? Or do we just need to accept that we're going to be rebooting this router? Like, I don't know, once a month until it falls apart. (laughs) Sometimes you just reboot it once a month until it falls apart. Right. It's all about managing expectations. I mean, and that's what you, you brought up there is an excellent point. Like, what is the thing that we actually want to live with and do with and, and go through this? Because sometimes getting to root cause, the necessary way to do that is to have the problem and leave it in the problem state for some time mm. so that we can we can collect the data that we need to collect, run the tests that we need to, to run, and then hopefully we've collected enough. But if we haven't, then we do the quick fix again, and then we go back and we do it the next time and leave it down for a while. That's a really painful process. Like there needs to be, and I've worked in a lot of places where it's like the acceptable level of downtime is 0%, like zero, 0. 0.00, not like 99.999. No, no, no. The acceptable level is zero. And if you can get to five or six nines, fantastic. That was, that was pretty good, but not all the way to our expectations, right? Like, <laughs> like it's crazy, but I've had management tell me that. That's the ex- we we spend all this money on technology. We expect it to be up all the time. It's like okay, like that's that's a really hard thing to to get to. And in those environments, it's very hard to find root cause analysis. In those environments, you can demand labs too. <laughs> you can say, fine, then you're going to spend a lot more money, and you're we're going to recreate this issue not in software but in actual hardware. Um, but yeah, I think that you know ultimately at the end of the day, I think if you there's one thing you take away from this conversation, it's this: it's managing expectations. Because at the end of the day, if you manage expectations with TAC and, and, and TAC engineers you're working with understands what it is that you're trying to achieve, it, like, like Trey said earlier, it's literally their job to help you. Like That's why they're there. That's what they, they get paid for. And if you don't, or if they don't, then you're not going to be a happy customer. They're going to hear about it. They're going to get bad reviews. And who wants that? Nobody wants that. So many times the problem isn't that people aren't trying to do the right thing. It's that there's not an agreement on what the right thing is. And, and, and really yeah. that's what, what really what it comes down yeah, to. Yeah, I don't, I don't know anybody. I don't think I've met anybody who goes out of their way to do the wrong thing or something that they thought was not acceptable. <laughs> right? I, I don't know anyone who does that. They go completely out of their way to, to completely mess things up. Not a thing. Now, when people, like you said, have misaligned expectations, I thought we were going for root cause. You wanted to recover. Yeah, I can see why you're frustrated. We just caused extra time and downtime and whatever, and now you're out more money. I get it. That sucks. Uh, I feel for you. But, you know, a lot of that is 
two-way communication. Like it's not always on tack to sit here and every single time ask you, is this an ongoing outage? I, it's something I've started adopting <laughs> because I, you know, I'm tired of mismanaged expectations and not understanding where the customer is coming from. But it sure helps when I don't have to be the one to ask. I think it's also kind of fun when it starts out with, okay, we're down, but we can do a root cause. And then, um, no, no, we can't. Someone just came down from on high and suddenly me as customer is like, uh, okay, I'm sorry. We need to switch now. And I'm going to be really stressed out because I just got yelled at. It's one of those things where, you know, it's not one or the other. Just sometimes it flips in the middle and it is not great. You know, I, I was just thinking, I, I wonder how many of these uh, tech cases, both from the, the tech engineer perspective and the customer's perspective, uh, has gone wrong sort of by falling into the wrong place, wrong time. And, and what I mean is networks are critical in, in, in this modern age that we're in. Networks are critical, like Jordan said, zero downtime. Absolutely 100. Jordan's network is more important than his power. <laughs> at his house. Um, what I mean is the wrong place, wrong time. We have to do network cutovers, network upgrades, network changes at night. How many of these issues are from sleep deprivation, um, drinking energy drinks? It's 4 a.m. Something didn't go right and you have to call a tech engineer after you've been up for nearly 24 hours and that tech engineer maybe is working the night shift on a different part of the planet. It's a uh, it's 10 a.m. where they are. They're just they're just getting their you know their stride in their shift, while you're already exhausted and stressed out and not thinking clearly. And a lot of times that's where these heads can butt mm -hmm. between the the tech engineer and the customer side, where we're stressed out and we say, hey, look, you know, it's it's 4 a.m. I've been up all night. I, I need this fixed. And there's a break. You know, we've we've touched on it a lot. There's a breakdown in communication there, mm -hmm. and sometimes that's where we just need to. There needs to be a second shift. Someone mm -hmm. else has to take this over and we need to start again in the morning. And you have to accept that when you've had one of those late nights, it takes um, maybe a couple days, if you're really lucky, to recover. It can take more like a week or two. So if you have like a long ongoing thing where you then have to get back with tack, you're not going to be the sharpest, which is going to make those communication problems even more difficult because you're like... I know I know this. I know I got sleep last night. Why isn't it working? And it's just because you didn't sleep the one night or the two nights. Man, I'm uh, I'm flashing back with all these conversations. Most of my tech calls are middle of the night tech calls. So, I mean, like, you know, my experience for the past, you know, five or six years has been as a as a VAR, you know, delivery engineer. And so exactly what Tony said, almost all of my cutovers were middle of the night. They're sitting in some colo or some data center somewhere. I'm working on, you know, uh, a pair of Nexus 7Ks or something that's hypercritical to the company. It's the middle and core of their data center. And we're upgrading them and something goes sideways. And it's like, okay, here we go. <laughs> you know, like this is, uh, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, like the number of times I've been on tech calls with no sleep, uh, I have some friends who have stories about falling asleep with tack on colo floors in mm -hmm. the uh, in the cold aisle in 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 data centers around the country uh, because of just long-standing issues like that. I think we've all kind of lived through that. I think it's good to understand that. I think a lot of it's coming back to, and I think that you'll see as we talk later in the show about you know the the practitioner perspective is that it's all about emotional intelligence. It's all about recognizing who you are and what you're doing right now, and having empathy for other people. 
uh, because at the end of the day, like the issues aren't technical. Uh, the technical stuff we get through pretty readily. Uh, things break and no one gets frustrated. Well, I should say engineers typically don't get frustrated about things breaking because it's, we understand that's part of the it's part of the gig. I won't say the same for management. They tend to get pretty upset sometimes when things mm. break. But uh, but at the end of the day, like you know, it's not unexpected for me to be on a call with a tech engineer. But when I'm doing it with no sleep and 36 hours, am I really at my best me? <laughs> you know, am I really I think, bringing I think intel? Add on to that. Yeah. What's that? I, I think an add on to that is uh, like along with the emotional intelligence, like being able to to recognize that you're in that state, and even if you're not in that state, knowing when is the right time to call tech. Um, I can't tell you how many cases I've gotten late on a Friday, P2 case, and they went home because they've been troubleshooting all week and they're tired. And you're like, that's awesome. You didn't give me everything I need to solve your problem. Guess I'll talk to you Monday. Yeah. Oh, but my SLA is like an hour. Cool. You really did me a favor there, guy. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a two way street. Like, you know, if it's something that's so critical, you need it by Monday talk to me the previous Monday or maybe Wednesday, you know, like don't drop it on me at the end of the week. Like I, I get it that you want to, you know, troubleshoot and do as much as you can along the way. But sometimes your time and my time are better served by getting engaged early mm-hmm. and not just a customer thing. You know, part of it is being intact, knowing when you've hit your limit, recognizing that just because you've hit your limit doesn't necessarily need to mean, need to mean that you need to escalate, but that depends on the urgency and how well the, you know, the, um, what word we were just using the expectations were set you know if this is something where it's a minor issue you can live with it you already don't care you know you're not responding the same day anyways you know maybe i can take a couple days and go research it and figure it out on my own if it's something where you're like this is going to crash and either i figure out why it's crashing or i don't and it crashes again maybe it's time to get engineering involved so I think on both sides, it's a matter of uh, you know recognizing when it's time to bring other people into the equation and recognizing when you're at your end, um, when to dig in further and when not to. That whole not letting your pride get in the way or not letting your ego get in the way. Exactly. It's but, not a matter of like weakness to ask somebody for help. It's a matter of being clever and not wanting to make your life harder than it has to be. Yeah, I you know I think it, you know we've. We keep talking about emotional intelligence and communication, and I think one of the best ways, um, you know, to help reinforce that is by sticking to troubleshooting models. You know, one of the things that that we have here in the show notes that I think Trey put together was something called the UDA model, right? And there's many different models, different vendors use different things. Anyone who's been through the CCMP troubleshooting knows that that bottom up, top down, middle out, shoot from the hip you know, these sort of different models that you can use. But I think it's important as a customer or an engineer who's calling the vendor on behalf of a customer to understand that that vendor has a troubleshooting model and being able to understand what that is, I think is super important because it helps to take away emotion out of it and build only technical communication, which is just the exchange of data between the person who's calling and the person who's receiving that call. So I was wondering, Trey, can you sort of outline what that what those high bullet points are and sort of what kind of information are you looking to gather there? This is the helpful part that, that customers can take away from. Yeah, this is this is something I think is pretty important. Um, and in, I think we've covered, you know, the, the bulk of what my job actually is, which is, you know, soft skills and communication. Like, 
I get it. Everyone thinks TAC is the technical person in the room. Yeah, they might be, but we also have to interpret you. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, we can definitely get into the how to drive a you know, technical problem forward and actually figure out a resolution to it. Um, I, I, I feel like OODA loop uh, for me is almost like cheating because it's not something I consciously do. I feel like I've, I found the model and was able to kind of retroactively apply that to justify my actions. <laughs> but um, essentially it's a four step process that is meant to be a loop. So when you finish the fourth step, it goes back to the first step and it's OODA. So observe, orient, decide, and act. So when if we wanna take it from an attack case perspective, when I very first get the case, what am I doing? I'm observing your problem description. Right, and part of that problem description is trying to of observing it is what are you telling me? You know, if you're using a language, you're not using a common language. I'm going to struggle to figure it out. If you're not giving me consistent data, if you're telling me one thing and then con contradicting yourself the next time, it's going to make it more difficult. You know, a big part of the observation again is what's the scope, what's the impact, what's the urgency, you know, the expectations. That all falls under observe, I think. Um, once we have that data and we've interpreted what it says, you know, now we can move on to the orient part. All right, I have this output. What does it mean? What am I staring at? What am I really, uh, you know, supposed to glean from this? Once I've figured out or done the analysis, figure out where we're at, you know, you can kind of move into the decide phase, which is, all right, I know BGP has been flapping. I need to take a decision on what information I want to connect, collect next. If all I know is that it's flapping, do I want to get a packet capture and see maybe if there's a reason in that BGP session that tells me what's going on? Could I maybe look at logs instead? Um, any of those things, you know, just deciding on an action plan is what that is. Uh, the last one I think is is act, which uh, now that we've decided on an action plan, let's go ahead and go and you know carry out that action plan and collect the information we need to do. And I think this is one of the crucial things that uh, frequently people struggle with is when you're going and collecting or going through the action plan, one, if you don't know how to do it, ask us. We're the technical resource. We will help you go through that collection process. Two, be very deliberate about what you're collecting and how you're collecting it. If, I, if we're watching, uh, or let's just say we're saying this host is unreachable. Well, if you initially define the problem as I can't ping this host, and that's what is unreachable, or rather, I can't see it on this graph, and that's what's unreachable. You don't want to change later and start looking at like ping results or something like that. You want to make sure that what you're observing is consistent all the way through that test. You know, and that means don't be messing with other things, don't twiddle other knobs you know, as you're working on things. Be very deliberate about that. So once we've run through that test, you know, we've collected the results. Then it comes back to delivering those results back to the engineer, or you know, if I'm on there, I just you know throw it on the case, whatever. And then I'm back to the observation phase. How do I interpret the data that we just collected? All right, let me orient myself to where we are now. Now that we have this new piece of information, okay, I looked at the packet capture and I see there's a notification message in BGP. What does that mean? What does this subcode mean? Maybe I need to go look that up and figure out what that means. But now that I've gotten additional data, I can orient myself, I can you know, decide on a new action plan and carry it out. So it's this iterative process of you know, figuring out what information you have, what does it mean, what do I need to do next, let's do that thing, and let's do it consistently.
Yeah, I think that's awesome. And and if you're a customer or an engineer calling on the behalf of a customer, it's best to work with tech engineers' models. Uh, help them get through this phase. The quicker you help them get through this loop, uh, the quicker we can get to resolution together. You know, I think Trey opened this up, this podcast opened with our problem. What are we doing about it? You know, these sort of inclusive words, uh, because that's really what it is. You know, they're taking responsibility to help solve it. And and you have to be responsible and help giving the information over. And, um, you know, I, I've I've seen it you know, a lot of power plays sometimes, <laughs> you know, people don't want to give the information to the tech engineer. And I'm like, just, just do what they say, you know, like Jordan has said, just give me all the commands and all the data you need. I'll run them all. And I'll give you all the data that you require, whatever it takes to move this along this, uh, the quickest. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I, we've touched on a lot of the small topics <laughs> along the way, but, uh, you know, like, like you said, just deliver the results. Like take the pride out of it. You don't need to necessarily only give me your analysis of it. We are trying to do analysis. So I also want to see and make my own. So we're going to take a few minutes right now just to talk about today's sponsor. Now, over the last three episodes, we have detailed individual features and use cases of Unimus. In the last Unimus ad spot of the series, we want to share an all-in summary, a desperate plea, if you will, an attempt to grab your attention to go and try Unimus for yourself. Now, all jokes aside, here's what Unimus can do for you. Basically, Unimus does four things. It does network automation, it does configuration backup, it does change management, and it does network-wide configuration search. For network automation, Unimus is different from Ansible and other code-focused tools. It's not a framework, it doesn't require learning in any abstraction or templating languages, and it doesn't require any coding skills. Unimus is made specifically to be easy, fast to use, and to remove the barriers to entry of automation. The fine folks at Unimus think the term rapid automation describes it well, since in under 15 minutes you can go from nothing to automating away most of the repetitive config changes you do day to day. Configuration backup is an easy one. Unimus performs continual backups of the entire network's configuration, but it's more than just simple backups as the platform analyzes each new config for changes and creates a version configuration history for your network. This ties into change notification as you will receive a full graphical diff in your email or Slack anytime something in your network changes. For change management processes, you can easily see when and how device configs have changed. Basically, Anytime one of your junior admins messes with something they shouldn't have, you'll get a config change notification. And then you can go yell or maybe calmly explain why the change that they just made brought down half the network. Finally, there is config search and network auditing. Here, Unimus gives you a single interface to search any configuration network-wide. Common things like find all ports in VLAN 1000 or show all devices that have Telnet enabled. It literally just takes a couple of clicks and a few keystrokes to run. For more complicated searches, the network automation functions of Unimus can search for any output you want across all of the devices you want to target. Basically, imagine something like having a CLI session open up on everything in your network and then running commands across the network at will, except it's all done in a comfortable GUI and has smart output grouping so you don't have to look through hundreds of CLI outputs to find what you're looking for. Now, Unimus runs on-premises. It's multi-tenant ready and supports more than 140 different network devices across 90 vendors. You can get a free, no obligation, unlimited license trial or schedule a short technical demo call at unimus.net slash nc. Again, that is unimus.net slash nc. 
So, so one of the questions um, I asked before was, I'm going to get into that now, is in each of your experiences, and all of us come from sort of a, a, a different point of view in this regard, in each of your experience, what is the number one reason you have either called tech or received the most tech calls for? Nash is laughing. Um, I, I, want, I want her to go to first. <laughs> go ahead, Nash, please. I've been trying not to laugh because uh, it gets loud. Um, so... Probably my number one is, I think, a common one. Something is broken. It might be my fault. It might not be my fault. It might legitimately be a mystery. So it's either that or someone has helpfully applied licenses and they didn't actually know the correct way to do it. And so I need tax assistance with fixing whatever thing has been done to my client's licenses so that we can actually work on their equipment licensing and, and i found that most <laughs> shocking licensing i have personally never called tech for licensing but i don't work on that range of products that is well, their expertise. i think i mean honestly if we can name names most recently it's been cisco where i've had problems where clients were like okay you're installing a firewall for me great i'm gonna go apply the licenses now and convert them to the wrong kind of license. And it's like, I, I told you we'd do that together. Why are you doing this to me? But they did it. And, you know, it was fine. It took so, 10 hours. So Jordan, you're up next. Um, so, I mean, mine mine is hugely uh, influenced by what I've done for the past five or six years. And that is implementations and, you know, troubleshooting. So a lot of my tech calls are exactly what you mentioned before, Tony, like we're doing an upgrade on something. It's the middle of the night and it's not working the way we expect it to. Um, or we're implementing a new piece of technology. Um, I've done a lot with uh, SD-WAN in the past couple of years and working in SD-WAN, which is a relatively new tech, um, my, my calls have been dramatically different than like working on existing tech and so much as less like, why is this thing not doing what the documentation says it should be able to do? Am I doing something wrong? And usually the answer is no, this little nuance thing here means that it doesn't work that way. And the documentation doesn't quite explain it the right way or, you know, like there's been a lot of like, get on the phone, the first tech person looks at it. They're like, um, yeah, it shouldn't be doing that. The second person goes on. Yeah, it shouldn't be doing that. And then you get to the person who wrote it and they're like, oh yeah, that doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, fantastic. But so, I mean, so that's kind of been, you know, my sphere, but I don't think that that's a representative of uh, the broader universe because I've had a very specific type of job. Like, you know, like it's not been um, very broad. I'm not in the, the traditional practitioner. Yeah, it doesn't and, work and, that way. really resonates with me. <laughs> It doesn't work the way that it's described in the documentation that resonates. You're feeling that pain. Well, partially it doesn't match the docs and partially, oh, you didn't read the docs. That's awesome. Your, your initial intuition was wrong. Sorry, dude. Yeah. I mean, so I do, I mean, I think we all do that to some degree. We're like, we all, we've worked on enough tech that we, we kind of have an assumption about the way it's supposed to work. And I'll be the first one to admit like, okay, yeah, I definitely, I assumed and I didn't read the documentation, you mm -hmm. know, slap my hand and I move on. I'm the one who wasted that time. Uh, this was not that <laughs> this was, this was me going in saying, I don't know how any of this tech works off the bat. So I need to read the documentation. I read the documentation. I implemented exactly like the documentation. It doesn't work. And I'm sitting there, you know, holding the bag in front of the customer going, we're going to have to figure this out. I don't know why it's not working. And then getting on with the, with the vendor and they're going, oh yeah, that's not going to work that way. But there was no way you would have known that. Well, thanks. Thank you, Mr. Vendor. <laughs> yeah. 
And, and Trey, from uh, from your perspective, what is probably the incoming calls? Uh, what do you receive the most incoming calls for sort of common problem? Man, it's so hard to say what I see the most of. It, you know, people's impressions are are definitely hard to work with. Like, even my own. I'll, I'll use my own as an example for right Perfect. now. My impression of what happens to me the most is probably not accurate because I don't remember the things that I don't care about. And I just leave this big impression in my mind of all the all the fun or cool or frustrating cases, and that's what sticks with me. So I, I more than likely improperly balance those in my head. Um, I think that's probably true for everybody, right? Yeah. Like that, like yeah. that. That just reality. That's just human nature, right? Yeah. We, we never pay attention to the stuff that either goes easy or that is boring. We pay attention to the stuff that either causes us pain or joy. Yeah. Un- yeah unfortunately, exactly. it's more pain than joy in this industry, isn't it? <laughs> the joy things are fewer and far between. I love what I do. But it's, you know, with the things that stick out, it tends to be the painful stuff. We all tend to have scars. Yeah, anyway. but I think that's a human thing. You remember when it hurt. May yeah, not I think it hurt, work. But it's harder to remember the happy stuff or just the neutral. Yeah, I sure did my job today. That was that was great. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I don't know. So- I mean, if I had to give an answer, I mean, a lot of it is just uh, perception, I think. You know, I, I thought it worked this way or... You know, I thought this was actually a problem. I was measuring it the wrong way. I, I think that's actually a really large one. I tested this and I got this result and that's bad. And you're like, okay, what makes you think that that result is bad? Uh, what makes you think that that was the right way to measure it during that test? Like walk with me th- here, help me understand your logic and why you're using these tools and how you're using them. And I think a, a big part of that is just that <laughs> troubleshooting perception and why you're doing it the way you're doing it. Yeah. I, I had thrown in earlier that, that my tech case experience mostly stems from upgrades. Um, not so much, uh, configuration changes, not so much migrations or cutovers, but upgrades to existing devices, um, changes the behavior of the device sometimes, um, sometimes intentionally, and it's in the release notes. Because we all read the release notes multiple times, right? I'm looking at the four of you, right? <laughs> Not everyone I, reads I, the release notes. I do as more than I used they to. Should. I do yeah. more now than I used to. Well, you have to I've be burned a few pain. times. You yep. have to be burned a few times. I only uh, do it because I played video games where the patch notes were the key to everything. <laughs> so I guess waste your youth playing video games. You'll learn to read the release notes at least once. But yeah, it has been upgrades that have gone sideways that have led me to tack. And um, occasionally the problem is in the release notes and sometimes it's not. And, and it's a, an anomalous behavior. Um, but uh, that's, that's one of my tips. Anyone listening, read your release notes. If you're not in the habit of reading release notes, read the release notes before you upgrade and make sure you understand what's in them. All right. So, um, we spent a lot of time on the on the vendor perspective there. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to I'm going to kind of just roll through the points that I had here. I think some of them are recap. Um, and I definitely want people to I want you guys to chime in as, as we're as we're going along here. But I think that uh, I think really this is the rehash. And so if you're if you're a practitioner, I mean, uh, it's good to get all that perspective from a tech tech thing. But I mean, at the end of the day, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's on your shoulders to do right. Um, and And a lot of the you know, uh, 
criteria of whether or not you're going to be successful or not is on your shoulders. It's how you approach the way you do things. Um, you know, there is obviously responsibility on the tech engineer and, you know, there are better tech engineers than others. Some are great. Some are not so great. That's reality, right? Just like any other engineering or any other job. Right. But really, I mean, we talked about emotional intelligence and I realized that as I was uh, going through of like the things that get in the way, almost all of them were emotions. And we kind of hit on that before. And so, you know, the first one that came up was pride, right? So we all want to be the best at what we do. Um, we all want to be right. Uh, we want to be the person who can swoop in and fix the problem, but you, you can't be that for everything. So it's not failure if you're calling tech. I mean, like, I, th I think that that's something you have to get through your head is the idea is that, you know, like you aren't a failure if you're picking up the phone. To, you know, sometimes things just break. Sometimes you don't have the whole picture. Sometimes you do something and you get tunnel vision and you're just blind to it. You need another set of eyes. You spend a lot of money for that service. Use it. <laughs> like it's yeah. not failure. It's there. It's there as a resource. Use it as part of your tool bag to make things better. Yeah. And in fact, it's not a failure if you call tact. In fact, it it's makes you even more successful if you recognize that you need to call tech earlier. Yeah. You know, when you say like, well, let us, let's get tech on the phone right now before you waste the next three or four hours in an overnight situation, uh, trying to work something out yourself. If you can recognize that earlier, you're not a failure. You're even more successful. Make sure you tell your managers, make sure people know that, make sure it's in the notes from what happened. Uh, recognize the problem early on, call tech immediately. Um, it, it's awesome. Especially because then you're fresher. So you can make notes of what TAC is doing. And <laughs> always set your terminal log to have like a million lines in it so you can go back Ooh. through it if they ever need to be on your computer. I should write a blog about that or maybe even just a tweet. Just like if you aren't logging every terminal session you're in, pause this episode, go to your terminal emulator and turn on logging right now for absolutely yeah. everything. They're text files. It's not going to take up that much space. And you're going to have every command, every output, everything you've ever done. The amount of times I've gone back to that as a far engineer, that I've gone back to that for customers who ask me for information about their network, mm -hmm. where I can go back and say, this was the state when I was there. This is the config when I was there because I did a show run on your thing and here it is. Right. Like I have the oh, cool. config from that device that you don't have a backup for because I went and I did that thing. Now, obviously, if you're doing it for customers, be very careful about how you store that stuff. But uh, turn on logging today. That's completely unrelated to navigating with TAC. But man, is that a good a good tip. Um, so I'm going to move <laughs> on to my, my second point here, and it's insecurity. Uh, I think this kind of goes right on, hand in hand with pride. Um, trying to one up TAC doesn't win you any prizes um, at, at the end of the day. Like it's a partnership. It's about doing it together. Um, and even that first tier, I talked about that, that idea that like, we need to, you know, like we feel like the need to kind of like get around the first tier as much as possible or as quickly as possible when there's a big outage, cause often they can't help. Um, don't do that. I mean, sometimes you got to kind of navigate that, but like the reality is, is like, well, like I said, give them their chance, let them do their thing. Listen to, cause guess what? They've got their hands in this more than you do. It doesn't come matter on, how much are you fun. Do. One ups oh, are fun. It's always great when someone says you're not following the RFC, and you go, "You see that right there in big bold letters? It says should." Should huh. yes, it's yeah. Weird. It's almost like it says <laughs> implementer's choice to me. Right. So, so when you make when you pick up that phone, you are bringing somebody into the team, right? And 
for some of you, that doesn't make a difference because you're still up, trying to one-up people on your team. But try to look at it as a team of equals. We are all here for the same goal. We talked a lot about managing expectations. And so long as that we're all going after the same goal, you get all the credit. No one's going to care that the tech engineer figured it out or you figured it out at the end of the day. You're the one who was responsible for getting the network back up. You don't need to be insecure because you're calling tech. Um, I, I think the next one is, is, is also related, but not as much, and it's fear. Um, and, and so when I, when I say it's related or not as much is, is I think that sometimes we're afraid that we're the ones who caused the problem. Right. And, and the reality is, is that's actually kind of likely. <laughs> so you're the one who touches the networking gear. You're the one who configures the networking gear. And if the networking gear is broken, unless it's actually a bug. And I'm going to tell you in my cases with TAC, I've come across a lot of bugs, but I've come across way more times where I misconfigured something. It's it, the ratio is way higher that something was misconfigured to bug like the it's not it's not even close. And so I don't think you need to be afraid. I think the reality is, is this is very complicated stuff. There's a reason why this this support exists. If it was easy. And I think this is we could man, this could be a soapbox for me because I hate when people sell mm. this stuff. It's easy. Even the easy stuff isn't easy. Networking is hard. It's only getting harder. There's more stuff getting tossed into the network. There's more things that we're trying to do with the network. This stuff is not easy. You're not a failure. <laughs> if, again, like going back to that point of that pride, you're not a failure if you're calling TAC. It is completely possible that you just don't know this piece or you did something and again, you got tunnel vision. Um, it's it, uh, There's very few places. And I, I, I guess they have to exist because this feeling exists. But there's very few places where you lose your job because you made one mistake. You know what I'm saying? Like at the end of the day, like it's, it's just about, I don't be fearful, just get to the right answer. Um, and I think that if TAC is part of that process, people don't even have to know you made a mistake. <laughs> you know, like if you're calling TAC early in the process before it gets to be a big deal and everyone's staring over your shoulder, um, you know, like that's just, that's just part of it. Um, impatience. Um, it's, it's always going to take longer than what you want it to take. It's always going to take 10 times longer than what your manager wants it to take. Uh, but ultimately, at the end of the day, if you're looking for uh, like to figure out what the root cause was, it's going to take time. We kind of mentioned that earlier in the show. Um, and I think that oftentimes impatience can drive you to do things that work against your goals. And so the idea is, you know, if if this is really is an urgent thing, it needs to be resolved, then that's great. You approach it that way. If this really is I need a root cause, then don't go rebooting your stuff. And the other thing is don't go doing things that are troubleshooting that are outside of that OODA loop that you've worked out with TAC. Because the problem is, is you're going to do something that's going to influence a test that they're running, or you're going to do something maybe even that fixes the problem that you don't know what you did, <laughs> right? Uh, you're going to flip a switch somewhere or something's going to happen and you may not even fully understand what the implications of that was, but once it's fixed, no one's going to want to spend time figuring that out. And so the, the, the reality is, is that you have to have a certain amount of patience. I see Trey smiling over there. Jordan's <laughs> just speaking like, to my heart right now. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just sitting here going like, man, where are all these customers doing this? I, I'd love to know. <laughs> well, I mean, I, part of this is that, right? Like, I mean, we're definitely framing the show in so much as, you know, tips to have successfully uh, or successfully navigating that whole support experience. But if we successfully navigate the whole support experience, your life should be way better. <laughs> Right. Like Definitely. The we, the we opened with what's the perfect tack case and we're going right. down a list of things to do to turn it into the perfect tack case. Exactly. I don't even care what the subject matter is. If you follow <laughs> these steps and we have clear communication, it will be a smooth case. It was right. That's absolutely right. And you notice everything so far has been an emotion. 
everything so far has been something that I'm feeling or that I'm influencing this experience because it's not about the technology. That's not what's making these cases fail. It's, it's, it's about the, the interpersonal skills, right? The other one is being dismissive. Um, this kind of also goes back to that first level tech person or, or any tech person. When someone asks you to do something and you think it's not rele relevant, um, oftentimes you don't understand the context under which they're asking. So here's the thing. Here's the big secret. Um, what's happening to you has probably happened to someone before. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the exact same, same thing that happened to that other person is what's happening to you now, but it could right? It could be the same thing. And guess what? There's probably some wiki or some notes or whatever that the tech person that you're working with has access to. And they go, oh, wait, this resolved a similar problem with somebody else. Let's take a look here. Take two seconds to take a look there because it's not going to take you that much time and you can dismiss it if it's not the right thing. But if you just say no, and then you come back two hours later and then finally check it, and that ends up being the thing, you're going to look like an ass, mm. <laughs> right? So don't be dismissive. Just do what needs to be done. I'll work through the process, work about being time efficient. It's okay to have urgency. That's not the problem. And I, I've never met a tech person who won't try to work at your urgency at whatever's going on. They're going to try to, to do what needs to be done based off the way that you communicate your expectations, but you can't dismiss parts of the process because when you dismiss it, you don't get that full OODA loop, right? You've, you've oriented, you've decided on a plan of action and then you just dismissed it instead of acting on it. Well, now I don't have the full picture. And maybe we go off on a tangent. It's uh, it's one of those things. Anyone else have anything else that's like kind of gets in the way? I kind of covered those very quickly. <laughs> um, one of the things that that gets in the way, um, knowing your level of support is important. Um, sometimes you have hardware replacement support. Sometimes you have full suite support, which comes with attack, um, not just replacement, but software bugs, issues, configuration problems, uh, know your software support. Um, you don't want to call tack with a problem that you're not paying for the service. And well, it's, I mean, not, you, it's not, you, you're going to call, they're going to tell you, you know, to go take a hike. It's going to waste your time. You're going to be frustrated, right? Like, yeah, you should know, you should know what you have. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's really hard. I mean, yeah. coming from, from you know, working as a reseller, working in people's environments and not exactly knowing, you know, what's there. You don't always know. Uh, and, you know, sometimes people believe they have things that they don't have. It's, it, it's a really hard thing to navigate. And I've seen some of these like, you know, support renewals that take months to do because there's so many pieces of equipment in so many different places. And who knows whether or not you really land at the right place. I mean, that's a whole other thing. We probably could do navigating the support renewal process. Like that's probably a show that would get an immense level of, of attention only because it's such a painful thing. Um, but the reality is it, that's a really difficult thing to do. But you're right. Like I have a good understanding of what it is that you have support. And if there's something that's critical, <laughs> make sure that you have the right amount of support on it. Because, man, that's there's something worse than calling in and like, yeah, we don't know you. <laughs> and, and and here's here's definitely a, here's definitely a takeaway for anyone uh, as sort of at the entry level tier one tier two IT ops. Um, when you are first stepping into that role into that job, um, ask what are the what are the, your support numbers for the vendors? How do I get in contact with the vendors? And and what products are we supporting? Um, who's the account manager? Sort of stuff like that. Figure out what that is because if you're on that overnight shift, and a power supply goes in a box or 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 an SFP or a line card or something. Um, you can't wait till the morning 
when so-and-so comes in with that information, you should have that in front of you. Um, definitely make some notes, put it in your cubicle, put it on the wall, save it to a file, something like that, so you have it for reference. Um, because you will look like the hero being able to open that tech case for when the rest of your team comes in in the morning and they say, what happened overnight? Oh, this line card went down. Well, did anyone put in a ticket? Yep, I got it. I put in the ticket, uh, it's being handled. Uh, we're, we're already working on a replacement. Um, have that information at the ready. Um, if you're a tier one, tier two IT ops, that can make you look like a hero being able to do that. You're not gonna look like a hero if you're fumbling around for the information the next day. I would, it's true. Um, I'd also add, um, if there are any internal processes related to filing attack call, make sure you're aware of those and try and get them written down if they're not. Because that way at 3 a.m. you're like, I've got my phone numbers. I've got my list of people that I need to contact about the outage, depending on what kind of outage it is. I know how to file it in our ticket system. You don't have to think about those parts. It's already there. All right. So there's a few more things I want to highlight. Uh, we kind of pointed out some things that you shouldn't do. Um, in, in my list there a couple of minutes ago. And I, now I want to point to some things that you should do um, I, much to the, to the point of having, you know, support numbers and, and who the team is documented. Uh, the first one on my list here is prepare, prepare, prepare. There's going to be a certain level of baseline information that's collected on every single TAC call you ever do, right? You're going to need to have a problem description. You're going to need to have devices. You're probably going to have drawings and they're going to ask for a show uh, tech or whatever the equivalent is on the gear that you're running. They're going to want that baseline information to get a broad picture of what's going on while you're trying to get the person on the phone, collect that stuff. Like there's no reason why you have to wait for someone to ask you for it, collect it, have it ready so that you can just hand it over when it's time. Uh, some support systems will allow you to pre upload that. Like once the case is, is there, even if it's not assigned yet, I can get that stuff in there and you can just say it's already uploaded to the case. You can go take a look. You know, like be prepared and, and do as much on your side as you can. If you don't need it, that was time you were already on the phone trying to get to an engineer anyway. You didn't really waste any time. Um, you wasted some some keystrokes, which is okay, whatever. It's not a big deal. Um, and we, we've we've hit on this a lot, so I won't spend too much time here. Is but attitude is everything. You know, the saying you catch more flies with honey <laughs> uh, than with vinegar. It is uh, incredibly true. Um, the tack is there to help you. And so, you know, bringing that idea of partnership and working together is going to go a lot, a lot further, uh, manage expectations. We spend a lot of time on that, right? So I'm not going to do it more both internally and externally. Um, and the last thing I want to say is, uh, work your account team. And so this is one of those things that's kind of tangential. You have support, but the reality is, is that your account team, you know, makes money off of you buying stuff and makes money off of you being happy. And so they become an excellent lever if things are not going the way you want them to. Uh, so the idea being that, you know, I'm not saying reach out to your account manager every time you call TAC before you, TAC even has a chance to respond. But if things are not escalating or you don't feel like someone's, you know, treating it the way that you think it should be treated or, or not meeting the expectations that you have, even though you've communicated them, use your account team. Because at the end of the day, they want you to buy the next refresh from them. They want you to keep buying licenses from them. They are going to go to bat for you. Uh, because literally the food on their plate depends on it, right? So maybe it's a bit uh, uh, Machiavellian, but at the same time, like they are there and uh, they have the most interest in making sure that you're happy. Trey, I'm sure that you absolutely care that every customer leaves happy, but at the end of the day, 
your job exists, whether they're happy or not, you know, like, like you can't make every customer upset, but a couple of upset customers or whatever, that account manager, a couple of upset customers, if they're the right customers <laughs> can literally mean the difference of a job, right? You know, I guess it probably could be for you too. So maybe I'm generalizing a bit too much here, but, but the reality is right. Like your, your salary is not tied to whether or not they buy the next switch refresh directly. Um, whereas the account manager it is. And so I think that there's a lever here that not everyone knows is there. So having that great relationship with your account team there, you know, don't treat them like they're the people that are just there to buy you lunch. The buying the lunch is establishing relationship so that when things do hit the fan, you can pick up the phone and say, Joe, like buddy, (laughs) this is what's going on. And I need you to step up for me. Right. And if you're strangers, what's the chance of that happening? Right. So spend some time, build those relationships with those account teams um, for, the, for the people that you use, because they can be helpful in these situations. I'm on the tax side of that. And anytime people get upset and talk to their account managers, I know for sure when that happens. Of so course. It's 100 percent an effective tool. And I think <laughs> it's something that as a customer, you should make use of that. Now, yeah, not every like time, you said, don't, don't abuse it. You'd right. like. You know, if if you're just looking for me to help you configure VRP or something, like, come on, man, you don't need to escalate this ticket. Just ask for a call. Uh, you know, but definitely don't overreact. But it is there for a reason, and it's, yeah, <laughs> use it when you need to. If you abuse it, that tool will go away. It's like a nuclear bomb, right? Like because as soon as the account manager starts speaking up, everyone's gonna start paying attention because it's tied to revenue, um, and so everyone starts really, you know, whatever. But that tool is there, and don't be afraid to use it if and when the situation accounts for, and don't use it like I'm just trying to like circumvent the whole thing. Explain what's going on, explain how it's going or whatever, because there probably is just either mismanaged expectations or um, competing priorities. And by you going to the account manager, maybe you reset some of those priorities in your favor, right? Like that's really what you're trying to do here. And so, yeah, it's definitely not a nuclear bomb or it is a nuclear bomb. It's not something you want to use all the time, but it is definitely one of those tools that you want to have in your pocket because it can really, you know, when the, when it has hit the fan and you definitely need attention, um, it, it's there. Or if somehow support got messed up and you called in and this switch doesn't have the right level of support, but like you pay for support on everything and it was just missed. like. Get on the phone with your account manager and be like, here's the deal. I need you to fix this. You know, like, we'll pay you, but we're going to figure that out tomorrow. Tonight, we're going to get on the phone with support, right? Like, um, it's that uh, that kind of thing. I think the competing priorities is important. Uh, I've worked for, what, two or three vendors now, and all of them have a different, you know, workload and work balance and processes and all the rest of it. And again, I don't know people who don't want to work on your issues or help you with your problems or like do the right thing. But you know what? Sometimes the organization set up in a way that you might have literally 50 different problems in your backlog. And at that point, how do I prioritize 50 different people with four severity levels? You know, sometimes it's <laughs> yeah. an escalation or in a call to the account manager. And now it's very clear which one I need to focus on. So, you know, I, I'm not going to name names or shame individual vendors or anything, but you know, backlogs exist. Organizational structures are different everywhere. You may or may not be working with a vendor who has done the right thing for their support team. Um, but that's definitely a tool to help with it. Business, right? Like the reality is backlogs will exist. There always will be competing priorities. And so, you know, uh, if you need attention and you're not getting it, it's, it's definitely one of those avenues. 
So guys, yep. this has been a great conversation, a long conversation. I think this one's going to be uh, well over an hour. Uh, hopefully everyone listening uh, got some value out of it, though, because I think we hit on some some really key points. Uh, before we go, I definitely want to give everyone an opportunity uh, to share where they might be found uh, online. Uh, Trey, I'll start with you. Um, you have any web presences? Are you on Twitter, LinkedIn, anywhere socially? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, obviously on the Network Collective Slack. Um, you know, that's a that's a great segue. The Network Collective Slack, <laughs> and you know how you get into the Network Collective Slack? You become a supporter of Network Collective. Super cheap, not expensive at all. Five bucks a month. It's like. You're going to pay for like one cup of coffee because most of us are snobby coffee drinkers. Maybe it's two cups of coffee, whatever, a month. It's really not that much. You get access to the Slack. Slack's pretty cool. You can come in and talk to Trey. Uh, you can definitely come and talk to Nash. In fact, everybody that's on this today, all part of that network collective Slack. Um, and obviously it helps us uh, keep the show going. There's lots of expenses associated with it. I'm not begging, but sure, it does help. Um, and, uh, and then also you get cool things like getting access to the Slack. You get all of our shows without advertising. Uh, you get merch at our cost. If that's your thing. I mean, if you absolutely need that network collective coffee cup, you can go get it. And we make nothing off of it when you are a supporter. Cause we don't double dip. Like I'm not interested in that. So, um, but really it's about the advertising. I mean, we could advertise a lot, but I prefer not to do that. Uh, we're still going to advertise a bit, you know, but if you're a supporter, we don't double dip. So you don't see it. So it's uh it's pretty cool. Anyway, Trey, thanks for that segue. You you really yeah. When do I get my kickback from that? Um, you're hmm. you're already in the Slack. We'll talk actually, about it. Keeping you in the Slack <laughs> entices more people to join, so they have level access with an engineer. You know, with a tech engineer. Oh boy, there we go. <laughs> oh boy, we are we are not selling access. <laughs> to particular <laughs> vendors or their support organization. Please see legal disclaimer here. Uh, <laughs> if they just happen to be there, that's cool, but whatever. No, the, the Slack is a really, really great place if you're a networker and like to engage with other networkers. Uh, we had uh, some people join recently who, who've, who've given me some comments recently. One person came in and like had a very specific question and got an answer for his question like the night he joined. I'm like, wow, you got your five bucks really quickly. Um, but it was, uh, it, it's pretty cool. Um, Nash, how about you? Is there uh, places where people can find you? Um, okay. So pretty much anywhere you see a woman named Nash, who's a networker, it's me. I'm in yeah. Network Collective Slack. I'm in a couple of other Slacks. Uh, my Twitter handle is a nightmare. It's Gamma Capricorni. I'm going to tweet, turn on your logs at Network Collective in case you're interested in finding me. There you go. I love it. So you can go, you can follow Network Collective. It's at Net Collective PC on Twitter. I love this. All these segues are beautiful. <laughs> at Net Collective PC on Twitter. And then you can find Nash from that because she will have tweeted at us and you can see our tweets and replies. And I will reply from Network Collective just to make sure that it's super easy to find Nash rather than having to type in a weird you know, name or whatever. I still couldn't pronounce it correctly until you just said it. So it I'm glad that you said years. it. <laughs> Tony, how about you? Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter. I'm Show IP Interface Brief on Twitter. And I'm going to retweet Nash's tweet for maximum visibility. <laughs> nice. You're, you're seeing social media influencer back end right here. This is how it works. All right. Um, you you also have a YouTube channel and a bunch of other stuff you have going on. I do. Yeah. YouTube.com slash forward slash Tony E C C I E. Um, and I think it's time for another video. I think so. Stay tuned. Yeah. I, I think that. Yeah, I think so. Uh, if you're looking for me, I'm at BC Jordo on Twitter. 
Uh, I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook and all the regular places. Just uh, search the name. Uh, I'm out there. I'm most places. Uh, for the for the podcast, you heard about the Twitter already at Net Collective PC. Also on LinkedIn. Also on Facebook. Uh, follow us wherever it makes sense for you. Wherever you like to live from a social media perspective. If uh, if you're not into social media, you can head to the website. Uh, it's networkcollective.com. In fact, even if you are into social media, you should still go to the website because from there you can find all the places to subscribe to us. So we're on the all the regular podcast channels. We're on iTunes and we're on um, Google Play and Stitcher and Spotify and you know fill in the blank. You know wherever you get your podcasts, we're we're there. Pretty uh, pretty confident. And then, uh, but also on there, there's some other cool content. So like we just released, um, Nick Russo did a series on complexity. It was a video series where he talks about complexity and measuring and, and, and managing complexity in your network design. And that is, uh, that was done for our membership and we had membership and I've taken that since we no longer have the membership system in place and I've just released it. And so it's out there for everybody, but it's a video series. So it's not going to be found on our podcast feed so you have to go to network collectives go to networkcollective.com it's the most recent episode well it'll be the second most recent when you're listening to this because this will be the one that has gone out most recently um but there's going to be um hopefully more content like that as we go forward because we have some some designs on things to do there uh doing a little bit more video as well so networkcollective.com is kind of the hub at netcollectivepc on twitter linkedin facebook all those places um, I think that's it. So I think we're going to wrap it up here. Thanks so much for for listening. And, and thanks, Nash and Trey and Tony, for coming on and having this conversation. Um, Tony kind of joked about it earlier. I'm doing this, uh, I would say, in the dark, but not really in the dark because I haven't had power for... I'm going to do the math here. I, I'm, I'm approaching 32 hours without power. So we're recording this podcast uh, via generator and it's ran out of gas in the middle of this so hopefully the cuts aren't too <laughs> obvious <laughs> when, when we edit it um i've got power in two places my fridge and my office um and so uh so hopefully i get power back soon um but anyway i hope you uh, do uh thanks for coming on and recording uh with us and doing this it was a great conversation and thanks for listening and we'll see you next time